This is AUP Radio here on World Radio Paris. This is The Soft Spot with your hosts Fiona and Elsa. Welcome back to The Soft Spot. Today we're going to the movies, baby. What makes a truly emotional film? Are we being emotionally blackmailed by Hollywood? What is film even? All these questions and more. So settle in with some popcorn, a comically loud beverage, pop in a Blu-ray, VHS, a DVD, your illegally torrented film. We promise we won't tell anyone. Today we're joined by Emile Bertera, our friend and local film expert. Is that what you would call yourself, Emile? What's what's no. your deal? <laughs> well, it depends on the scale. On the Tarantino scale, I'm like a newborn. Um. Um, What's my deal? I'm trying to see every movie ever made, and I feel like I'm going to fail at this task. Um, but I've been working in film production at various positions, uh, film financing, film development, film distribution, uh, small films, bigger films in the U.S., in France. And so now I teach film, uh, both film history and film production. And so I try to give... Uh, comprehensive approach to big question that Elsa asked, which is, what is film? So, Emile, why is a film more emotive as a medium for you, more emotive than, say, music or literature? I think it's precisely what you mentioned, which is the combination aspect. So when we talk about film, it's really a combination of like a story, uh, performances by actors, but also there's some music. There is a sense of fashion, a, fa a sense of set design. And so I feel like you combine those emotions and the film is really the sum of the work of all these people that work together. And I mean, a lot of uh, people call film like the definitive medium because it's the combination of all these art forms that we talked about. So I think one of my questions is what is the difference between the film as a medium and just a narrative story? Because if we try to think about what we love about a film, we often think back to the characters and the story, but obviously it's so much more than that. Um, so you joked earlier that you can be pedantic sometimes because you teach <laughs> film. Uh, can you put on your professor hat and tell us <laughs> what, what, what is film as a medium? Why is it different than just the narrative? Yeah, it's an excellent question. I think the core question, you're welcome. Uh, the core question of the film is not what is it about, but how does it tell its uh, core? How do we, as audience members, reach the core of the film? Um, and often, when you look at a film, the story is really the vehicle, it's, and the actors are also part of this vehicle. So you're going to watch a film because you like this actor, you like that actress, or, oh, it's a story that seems interesting. Uh, I like the period that it's set in. But then what really makes you feel things is the way the film is actually made, the structure of the film, but also just the emotions you get from the juxtaposition of uh, some shots put together in an editing, the contrast sometimes between what you see and what you hear in the music. So I feel like um, once you start looking at, at, at a film from an emotional level, the emotion that you get, sure, that can be about the, the story, the themes, uh, and of course some of us are going to relate more to some aspects than other, others would. Um, 
but deep down i feel like the the key question in the film is how is this art form how is the 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 beauty of a shot how is the beauty of a location and the way it looks in the film um speaking directly to our own emotions and relate with our own emotions and i think you said something about translating as well that film is a language and you translate more than just film you also translate languages if i recall correctly but anyway what are what did you mean by that that's right fiona and there are two things um well the first thing is when we talk about films we are really talking about our perception of the film and we are talking just like if you go to a ballet it makes no sense to go over everything that happened and break down every movement because the ballet is like a standalone piece of art and should be enough you should not have to like talk about it just like a painting uh is going to lose some of its i think it's kind of like what you you say in science it's like you you never create anything from scratch everything is um transferred and here when we talk about a film when we write about films it's not about the film itself it's about our perception of the film um but also what you need to take into account when you watch a film is that it's someone's experience that is conveyed through a variety of um, um technologies so if i have an idea as a filmmaker or as a screenwriter i'm going to put it down on paper but then there's a reality of the set so maybe i'm going to have an idea of this film that is set in like broad daylight it's sunny and then on set it's raining the whole day and so the mood is going to change the emotion that the scene is conveying is going to change and then i try to edit it with my editor and it's not working as well so i'm going to need to shift things a little bit move things around and this is going to create another set of emotions that i didn't plan so i think it's a translation of ideas in, on one hand and on the other hand it's the reality of the the set and the reality of what you have and this is why i feel like film is also very um unpredictable medium sometimes because um if you stick to your script it can be very boring if you try to seek different things give some freedom to your actors um this is where some unexpected emotions can arise and this is where your film can become something that's more than just the page because if you want what's on the page then just write a novel yeah it's interesting you say that i was just going to say it's really interesting to hear it from your perspective as someone who works behind the scenes sometimes but i think that such an element of this work of art and any performance i guess any moving performance is this collaborative nature because you like you say you don't just have this one text that you're reading from if you think about film it almost feels like you're reading multiple texts simultaneously you're reading the movement um the mood the lighting it's like you're simultaneously reading 10 languages at once that just turn into one I'm not the kind of fool who's gonna sit and sing to you about stars girl but last night I looked up into the dark half of the blue and they gone backwards something in your magnet 
some emotions kind of make for a good film and some don't. Sometimes as an audience member, you can kind of feel when an emotional film feels disingenuous or certain emotions are being just like deeply weaponized. And I think you said that a emotional film doesn't always mean it's a good film. So I wondered if you could elaborate on that. Yeah, that's a great point because actually it, it all depends on what you expect from your uh, film experience. If you just want to be entertained and fill things and just like you would go to an amusement park and you want things thrown at you, mm. you might be satisfied with a film that is just going to be about some like very emotional music, a very emotional melodramatic topic and actors are going to act in the same uh, direction and and then all you're gonna get is this instant emotion it's like um you know like instant noodle you put it in the microwave you know what you're getting it's not the the best food you'll ever get but you you know in 90 seconds you're getting it <laughs> and then there are some more challenging films where you're like it's almost like taking a chance on this Film, you know, sometimes I like when there's a buzz on a film that no one had heard about. And then it's like, oh, you should really go check out this like Turkish film or this like Mexican film. There's no stars in it. Uh, no one has ever heard of that topic before. But there's really something about the way you're being. There's an expression we use a lot in in um, in French when we talk about films. It's like, et which is like being picked up as a flower. And it's when something unexpected happens in terms of emotions and you're being caught up by your emotions um, in a way that feels very unexpected. And this is why sometimes it's important to have expectations when you see a film, but also sometimes it can be um, important to just go um, with a, a blank slate and just walk into, you have not seen the trailer, you don't even know what the film is going to be about, and you're just receiving these emotions. And sometimes you are going to hate what you see. Sometimes you are going to feel like, why is this topic even being brought up? Sometimes it's like, I don't even know what this film is about. Like 45 minutes in, I still don't understand. Sometimes like, oh, this character is extremely unlikable. And I don't even feel like watching, following their footstep. Um, but sometimes you can be surprised by how... Um, relevant uh, a story can be when you have on paper you have nothing in common with this film and this is where i feel like you get the strongest emotions like watching a film that is set during world war one like okay this is so different from my experience and yet the way the story is being told the way the images and the sounds are telling this story is bringing up so so many new emotions um that i feel are worth like watching and so this is why i feel like there is this strong sense of um knowing what you're getting and i have no problems with those films and accepting that like a film can be a, a, a gate to uncharted territories no i completely agree i feel like i've had really tangible experiences where i've known almost simultaneously as I'm watching a film, but it's been really engineered to make me feel a certain way or cry at a certain point. Um, for example, when I saw Darren Aronofsky's The Whale, and maybe that's also now I'm thinking something to do with the fact that it originally was a stage play. And so it, like, it did feel very blocked that the emotional moments do, I suppose, by nature feel quite rehearsed. And 
I mean, it really got to me. I cried multiple times during the film, but I also had that sense at the same time of that it was kind of like emotional pornography and it had all the tropes and all the things that were put in there at the right time to kind of elicit that reaction. And I did have that reaction, but it was not a film that stayed with me and I didn't really think about uh, the emotional impact of it beyond leaving the cinema. And then like you just said, I've also, on the other hand, seen films I've known nothing about or kind of vaguely had an idea of that have completely like slept, swept me away emotionally and I've been unable to leave the cinema because I just felt like bereft. Um, and so I think, you know, I've had both of those experiences and it's interesting. I think I've had a sense of when I'm feeling a bit emotionally manipulated as a viewer and then it's such a beautiful moment when something comes and takes you completely by surprise and then like you said, it might be a theme that you didn't even think was that emotionally relevant to your life. Like I remember when I saw Stan and Ollie with my mum, which is like more or less a film about beautiful male friendship and I could not leave the cinema because I was ugly, ugly crying. So sometimes things just, yeah, jump out and get you. I think I feel that sometimes, I can't think of a specific example, but sometimes I, I see the manipulation or I see the the tropes or the character that's just a good guy and is an uncomplicated and it's such an obvious hero. And I can sometimes resent it and it can take me out of the story and I can feel, yeah, really alienated or I almost feel like I, yeah, I want to have this agreement with a filmmaker that um, they respect my intelligence. And if my intelligence isn't respected, but I, we've not talked about this on this podcast, but I have a great, I have a really big problem with authority. <laughs> I no. used to. Yeah, no, I've gotten a lot better at it. You have no idea. I wish we had my parents on the show right now to talk about it. They would tell you all about it. Growing up, um, if I had a teacher who I felt was dumb or who, if I couldn't respect their intelligence, I had no respect for them. And in an act of defiance, I just wouldn't do my work for that class, which was dumb because then I failed it, which did not demonstrate any smarts for me. And my, my mom would say, please, just do as your brothers do. We don't care. Of course, fine, sure, you're smarter than this adult. We don't care. Just do the work. And I was like, no, they don't deserve my effort. <laughs> and I feel the same way sometimes about a film and I don't want to say Hollywood blockbusters are all crap because that's definitely not true. There's complexity and, and you know, it also depends, like we've been saying, what you're trying to get out of that film. But sometimes if I don't feel respected as a film goer, I don't, if I don't feel like valued, if I don't feel cherished mm, as a film cherished goer. Cherished and held as yeah, a Yeah, if I don't goer. feel cherished and held and respected, that my intelligence is respected, mm. then I can really disconnect and really resent and, and um, resist, I think, whatever kind of emotional situation is is going on So in that same way where I feel like I have a relationship with a filmmaker, um, we've talked about how watching a film is like a relationship in itself. But I'm really interested in that because you grow in relationships and sometimes you change. So how do we change with the films that we watch? How do we age with them? Do we? Do we age with them? What are you guys' uh, yeah, experiences with that? I 
certainly feel like I've aged with some of my favorite films. The example I'm going to give is the film Submarine, which I want to say now came out 10 years ago. And I loved that film as a teenager. I loved the set. I loved like the aesthetic world. And I guess now in hindsight, I'm kind of like the the Tumblr-esque world building that goes on in that film probably I really enjoyed quite superficially as maybe like a you know someone in their early teens and I watched it again when I was 23 and I hadn't maybe watched it for about five years and I just had a completely different viewing experience I was really profoundly moved at points that had never moved me before I found things funnier that I hadn't found before and it was just striking, I think. I felt as if, as as a person, I had now, you know, broadened my own emotional toolkit. And then I was bringing that, you know, into the viewing of the film. And there were kind of, I think, themes about isolation and maybe mental illness um, that I just couldn't tap into or I didn't know what the filmmaker was trying to show me um, maybe when I was a bit younger and returning to that film in my 20s was a much richer viewing experience and it was completely different um but to me that was a really prime example of a film that's done that for me that I think has really aged in a good way with me and I like to think that, that film might keep changing with me I know we also talked a bit about how sometimes when you like love a film when you're younger you don't want to return to it because it feels kind of sacred and it you know it, it meant something so perfect and like complete to you at at a time but yeah, I like to think that film might continue to change and grow with me as I change and become a bit more emotionally in tune. I guess I don't revisit films very much in my life. Um, it's rare that I'll rewatch a film, or if it's a comedy, for instance, then it's just fun. I want to share the jokes with someone in my family. And I, I didn't grow up in a household that rewatches things. I think this very American concept of having a Christmas family movie, I have a lot of friends who say, well, every year we rewatch this, and that's a really foreign concept to me. But I was just joking with my parents recently. I think one year when we were all together, we watched uh, Talladega Nights, which is not something anyone who knows my family would expect us to watch. But I think I was so surprised and my parents really liked it. But it's because we moved to the middle of nowhere, Alabama, actually not far from Talladega. <laughs> and I think for them, they really enjoyed how it made fun of this kind of subculture and brought them back to those days of feeling very foreign in this part of Alabama. Anyway, I was shocked to find that that became our family movie. And we, I just mentioned that maybe we should watch it again. But parents like, no, no, we can't watch that again for another five years. So I grew up in a family. We don't rewatch films. But I wonder, yeah, if there are films that I don't know if I'd want to go back to. I've been meaning to watch rewatch Marie Antoinette from Sofia Coppola for uh, a little while because I live near Versailles and I was obsessed with uh, 18th century fashion. And I read the whole biography that Marie the film was um, based off. I just found that entire period of history really interesting. And I loved that film and I want to rewatch it because it's filmed in places that I'm now close to. But uh, yeah, I'm almost afraid of rewatching it. And some things, I'm always impressed that people can go back and make, I think we were talking about the the teenage genre, and I am often really in awe of people who are able to revisit those teenage feelings because I feel like it's hard for me to connect back to that. It's a period of my life that I lived through. I had strong feelings. When I watch something that really taps into it, I enjoy it. But I don't think, it, it's hard for me to imagine being able to create something that perfectly encapsulated those feelings. But 
I haven't rewatched it. I don't know if it's just out of laziness because it's not available on a streaming platform that I have, or if it's because I want to protect that awe. I don't want to rewatch. I don't really revisit it and and find it to fall flat. Um, maybe I just want to protect it for what it gave me back then. So yeah, it really depends on the film. I think it's a complex relationship that we have. I feel like I need to revisit that in 10 years, 12 years, because right now this is just far beyond my reach and it's far beyond the realm of what I'm actually interested in. And you know, it's like you you leave a bookmark. You're like, yeah, I'm going to revisit this. And I know it might, at one point, it might, just like with some human relationships, you're like, you meet people and then only five, 10 years later, you're going to develop true friendship with them uh even if they've been around you for for a long time and i feel like for these films that we mentioned like submarine marie antoinette there's something at the core that's very like it's basically films about teenagers or people who don't have a big who are getting to develop a sense of responsibility which is something you respond to as a young adult or a teenager um and it's interesting to see how when you're a teenager, you really seek those filmy feelings in real life. Like, you know, uh, driving down with your windows open and blasting some music. This is something we also in films and try to duplicate. Or like, you know, those grandiose, like, uh, love speeches. No one would do that if we didn't see that in films first. Emil, you've so, never put your hand out the window of a moving vehicle and done the wave motion. Wait, I'm sorry. You've never uh, given a speech at your I've, high school graduation and said, wait, guys, scratch that. I'm going to go <laughs> off script. <laughs> oh, no, Dad. It's your dream. You've Not never mine. said that. <laughs> we've, uh, no, what I'm saying is we've all done it. But if cinema didn't exist, I doubt we would do it. Um, and, and I do believe that there is just, I mean, now there's a trend that fascinates me. It's, you know, on TikTok, people would use like, uh, sound clips from films and put them completely out of context with different images. And I think this is a true testament to the nature of, um, in, in, I don't know what would be the word in English. Like in, in French, there's this concept of the, le, le doudou. Which is like your like your the teddy fluff, bear. yeah, like your teddy bear, your Paddington bear. It's like this this like um like plushy that you keep, yeah. and it's really the one thing that's gonna reconnect with uh, your childhood with some past emotions. And I feel like sometimes just hearing the voice of an actor or an actress or like the theme from the musical theme from a film is really this connection that brings you back, not just to the emotions you felt during the film, but also like the first time we heard the Harry Potter theme or the first time we heard the Indiana Jones theme uh, when when we were kids. It, it brings us back to this time, just like a scent could bring us back to this time or like a color, a specific color can bring us back to this time. Um, and, and this is where the film becomes a vehicle for big emotions and emotions that are way bigger than anything we could possibly imagine. 
Emil, you're trying to watch every movie that was ever created. Do you go back and rewatch movies? Yes. Um, you find you have time? <laughs> I, tr I try. I have, I have five screens. I'm like a, a, a stockbroker. I have five screens with five different films. 1.5x. Uh, I was an empty Red Bull can. Exactly. Yeah. And when I see an interesting song, I'm like, up, up, up. Okay, let's <laughs> rewind this one. Um, no, but I do in the sense that um, sometimes there's going to be a film and I feel like I completely missed the point. Let's revisit that in two or three years. Or I'm, I was too tired when I saw it. I need to see it in a different context. Or this is not really a topic I want to deal with now, but I feel like if I watch it in a few months, it's going to be okay. So I do revisit some films. If I have a completely like um, epidemic hate reaction to it, though, I'm not, I'm not going to like self-inflict a rewatch. Okay, so you're not a huge masochist. Only a no, little bit of one. <laughs> only a little bit. Only if I feel like it's going to challenge my brain in a good way. Mm. I have a complete side point to make, which is one that we've not planned. But um, watching movies in airplanes is mm. an interesting experience. So I think there have been studies that have shown that altitude causes you to have different emotional reactions. And I don't want to out my dad on this podcast. I, out, I say lots of things about a lot of my family members that I then have to edit out of the show. My dad, who is not a big crier, as I think, you know, many men of his generation are, he's watching a plane. Yeah, he comes back and he says, you know, I cried on the plane watching a film. And we say, wow, dad, what was it? And he looks at us very earnestly and he says, crazy rich agents. And I said, Really? That's the film that got you to cry? And it turns out that at altitude, people have much more yeah, emotional reactions to films. So on top of the filmmaker, you might be being manipulated by high altitude. So what do people do when they live up high, high in the mountains? Are they just wrecked by every film they watch? Because <laughs> I can tell you, Crazy Rich Asians would not have been on my bingo card of films to have made my father cry. <laughs> I think it probably goes beyond film. If you live in the mountain, you open the door and there's a goat and you're going to cry. Whereas, I mean, in Paris, if I open the door and there's a goat, I'm going to be very concerned for the goat. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting though, because I try to refrain myself. Of, my first reaction when I walk into a plane is I turn the little TV on and I get so excited. I'm like, oh, there's that film I want to watch. There's this film I want to watch. And I'm like, wait a minute. These are the worst possible conditions. Like the mm. sound engine is so loud, you're not going to enjoy the soundtrack. The screen is the tiniest screen possible. If the guy in front of you reclines their seat, you're doomed. And the, sc the screen is going to be like two inches from your eyes. And it's like having a five, like a, um, a five course meal, but someone is blowing uh, poop smell in your nose, you know? <laughs> And yet, You're such a poet. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying. Uh, and, and yet, uh, we do um, we do enjoy watching films. And there's something very uh, um, nostalgic and comforting about watching a film on a plane. And I've noticed I usually go for films with actors I like because they're, it, it feels comforting. Mm. Uh, to see a familiar face this close from my own face uh, for two hours while I'm like 10,000 feet away um, above... Uh, uh, an ocean. Nothing, I guess. Imagine watching snakes on a plane, on a plane. I was just going to say. Do you think they've ever shown that? I have seen, I've heard of people do, doing that. I could never because I hate snakes. So that would just be the most cruel thing I could ever do to myself. Mm. I did, however, watch Taken while Ooh. on a Euro trip with my friends. Mm. Yeah. 
And then we all argued over whose dad was going to be the Liam Neeson character. And I think I settled on my dad. Especially That's hysterical. Yeah. My dad has a special set of skills. <laughs> yeah. Okay. More than your dad's. <laughs> my dad's an engineer. And he's German. So he'll find you. <laughs> and he will kill you. <laughs> So we also had a little chat before recording about using films as escapism. And I guess whether the purpose of film is to escape maybe our mundane realities or the emotions we experience on a day-to-day basis, or do we watch films because we want to see our emotional lives reflected, right? So like it's a question of emotional distance. Like do I watch a film because I want to completely forget about my daily experiences or do I watch a film because I, I don't know, want to see some familiarity with a character or a storyline and see that reflected in my life? So I bring this up because recently myself and a friend have been feeling pretty like down and out about what's been going on in our lives. Small scale stuff, but we found that the best escapism for that is watching like really grand, really big budget historical narrative films. So for me, my go-to, if I am feeling a bit like, why doesn't anyone want to date me? Or like, I have an essay to do and I don't want to do it. I will watch uh, Gladiator or Gladiator specifically or really any film by Ridley Scott because um, it just makes me feel a bit better about like the small dramas in my life. Like it doesn't tap into my feelings. I can't really see myself in any of those characters. You know, I just don't need to save my son and wife and topple the emperor and I'll probably be okay. And I've really found that those kind of films I've been enjoying at the moment, that pure escapism of a life that is completely beyond my comprehension. But -hmm. I know people watch films for different reasons, but for me, the epic period drama is really doing it for me at the moment. Okay, so like Outlaw King, you're happy yeah, that Outlaw the fate King. of Scotland does not rest on your shoulders. Yes, I don't need to liberate Scotland from the oppressive rule of the English. I just have to send an email. <laughs> because you are the English. <laughs> I just have to send an email. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. How do you guys feel about that? Do you prefer to watch films that you have a kind of emotional distance from? Or do you like films that you can see yourself in? I think somewhere in the middle. Um... Yeah, I don't watch that many of the kind of epic period films, though sometimes I enjoy them. But I don't know that I need to be reflected back at myself in the film. Um, 
I like to see, yeah, foreign films. I like to see the everyday reality of someone who lives a totally different life than mine. I, I think there's also this voyeuristic aspect of it. I, you know, walking down the street, I wish I could see what the insides of people's houses look like. And of course, film is is fiction, but it is a way of peeking into the life or, you know, by watching a film set elsewhere, I can travel a bit into that world in a way that, yeah, is a little bit more... Um, I think in that sense, that can be really meaningful because I, I love reading and I love books. And I also think that's a great way of developing empathy or imagining other things. But this is one of the places where I would say the visual and the sensory, the everything together. I mean, you can imagine the smells and the, the heat and the everything by all these technologies of film and all the technology of full filmmaking and, and imagina imagination. Um, so I can be in somewhere or peek into someone's window briefly in a way that I can't through other mediums. So I don't need it to be this huge drama. I don't need for the other person to be going through a crisis. Um, I can just be about their regular life. And that can be, yeah, really meaningful to me as well. Mm -hmm. I will say that for me, um, I've realized that, like everything else I've ever said, basically, I like emotional excess. <laughs> so to me, the version of that in film is kind of a heightened glamour or a visual excess, uh, a moodiness, really this world building that can take me to extremes. I was thinking about it, and it almost felt like this idea of the the sublime and, and ecstasy, which I think definitely is what I experience in most art forms. But there's something about going to a cinema especially that's a darkened space. We talked about this in our podcast on um, museums, that there's kind of an expectation that you will behave and experience things in this space. So it feels a bit like going to church as well. But I think something about the... Um, the, the, the color, the sound, the everything together, when a film is really effective for me, I felt swept away. Something also about the fact that your body is relatively immobile while you're being swept away down this river. Um, yeah, a really good film kind of picks me up and twirls me around. And then once it finishes, I feel like I've just kind of been gently laid back down in almost, yeah, in this like children's fantasy book kind of way. And and I look around me and, and I'm surprised to find that I am indeed back in my own body in the same space. So I like, yeah, again, this kind of surrealism and, and sweeping settings. And then I don't know, sometimes combined with the hard realities of life. Like I said, I think there's a sense of, you know, artistic integrity that's important to me. It's not like I'm talking about just pure fantasy. Um, I realize I really love films by the Korean director Park Chan-wook. There's something about that. Again, there's this hard, gritty, political, exciting. There's always this little bit of trickery Um yeah, I like to be kind of, it feels cheeky, like the director's kind of winking at me. Um, a, <laughs> he's going to, I'm going to be taken for a ride. Um, and, I, and I don't know where the twists and turns are going to take, but often they're really lush films that really set me into this enveloping mood in this beautiful place with danger and fear and drama and sensuality. Um, and one of my favorite movies is The Handmaiden, which I think definitely involves all of those settings. But it was quite funny because we watched this as a family. My sister-in-law, Grace, was with us and we watched this uh, all together. I, I don't really remember why we decided that that was going to be our family watching. Uh, it's kind of hard to find. We as a family we all have very different 
cinematic requests. And uh, by the end, she said, well, that was a new one for me. You know, you were really part of the family when you watch uh, Korean, Japanese, lesbian porn with your in-laws. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're just like, I want to go to a movie night at Fiona's where it's like, right, it's Talladega Nights or The Handmaid. <laughs> There's no in-between. No in basically our family, yeah. yeah. duality of man. <laughs> It's more likely to be the handmaiden than Talladega Nights, but those those are the extremes of my family and of me. So yeah, again, to me, I think yeah, a great film. It doesn't need to be spectacular. Also, I think it can be about a very regular life. But if it's well made, I feel like I've been swept up into this sublime, into this ecstasy. Um, even because I mean, that's the beauty of film; it can transform something hyper mundane into something um, hyper beautiful, which is also something I'm kind of st stealing from Emil because you said that yourself as well. But yeah, what, I don't know to you, what makes an effective film? What is it that, that really lifts you away? I think when you are watching it, it's about the distance of the mirror. Um, because sometimes you want something that's going to distort your reality. So you want something that is set in a world that requires a lot of world building that is so different from your own reality. And sometimes you want something that's like five inches from yourself. And, you know, especially French cinema is really about that. It's like, here are some people arguing in an apartment that's even smaller than yours uh, about problems that you encountered two weeks ago and see how they're dealing with it and how they're yelling at each other. Um, and sometimes it's, yeah, it's about like watching Lord of the Rings and this epic quests. And, uh, and sometimes you want something that's in the middle, something that feels like a, a genre film, like an action film or something that has some elements that you will never have in your own life. Um, and, and so I, I would totally agree with you in the sense that you, you need something that's relatable and you need to be able to identify yourself with the material. And I find it very interesting how these days there's like a question when you, when I mean, I don't know if it's a universal thing, but on the internet, you see a lot of people asking like, oh, what's your top three? What's your top four? Like of all time, like when it comes to films, just like people ask that with like music because it's supposed to represent something about how you see the world and how you feel things. And, and I don't know if I would agree with that. Sometimes you, you really, you're really impressed by a film that's appalling, that you absolutely uh, dislike the way it's representing the world, but there's something in the surface that you can't keep uh, scratching because it's fascinating. And it's showing you the, the reality in a way that you've never seen before. And that's why these films are going to, have a special place in your mental palace that you would not have from like a purely entertaining movie. What visual stories <laughs> make you particularly emotional? Are there any like recurring themes or tropes in films that really do it for you? 
Yeah, I've got a really specific answer for mm. you, Elsa. <laughs> it's surprisingly, Fiona has thought about this and has a very specific answer. <laughs> um, I know, because I'm, yeah, so to make a self-deprecating joke, but I'll refrain because not everyone needs to um, have ammunition to make fun of me. <laughs> the general public doesn't need that. No more than they already have. No more than they already have. Uh, you're welcome. Yeah, so for me, it's gay male love stories. Mm. Like, I, no, I was not say I don't know why, but I, I do know why. Um, I came to this realization a few years ago. There's something about films that show gay male love stories that just break me apart. I sob the hardest when this comes up. And I think it's because uh, there's something about visually witnessing um, tenderness between two men, physical tenderness, really breaks me because I'm not used to seeing it. Reading about a gay male love story, um, you know, hits me the same way that a normal romance would. That's fine. But I really think it's about seeing the physical form of two men expressing physical tenderness for each other and doing things that I, you know, don't often see in public, like a man, you know, touching the other man's face really tenderly. It's it's just maybe something that I'm not used to seeing as much. I think that, you know, socially, at least in the global West, there's I'm used to seeing a lot of affection between women as friends, and that's definitely the case in my friend group. Um, but yeah, that's really that really gets me. I remember the um, the movie Weekend in 2011 that came out, this um, British movie. And then more recently, I was home with my parents, and uh, we watched the movie Beach Rats from 2017. That was about, yeah, this uh, young guy in this super masculine environment in um, New Jersey, I believe. And, and he's kind of exploring his sexuality, but very much has got this kind of like raw anger to him. Uh, and I think it's just that juxtaposition of extremes. But that, yeah, nothing will make me cry like that. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Elsa? I don't know if emotional is the right word, but I guess the films that I've found the most engaging are those where the kind of more dramatic, I suppose, or more like absurd elements of the story are kind of tangential to the to the human story at the core. So one of my favorite films is um, The Lives of Others. And another one of my favorite films is Let the Right One In. Um, and like Let the Right One In, it's like, it's really a story about two teenagers meeting and falling in love for the first time and she just happens to be a hundred year old vampire um and similarly like kind of the lives of others it's really at the core a story about overcoming i suppose your prejudice and learning empathy for people living different for you but then you know the, the broad political context of of east berlin is kind of in the background but but really the human narrative is at the center um so i guess yeah those those human connection stories where the background is a little bit more dramatic and maybe absurd, but at, at their, their core, they're stories about um, connection. And the more like filmic bits, I guess, are kind of uh, tangential to, to the emotional center of the film, if that makes sense. God, that was a pretty good answer. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I hate having to like go after two brilliant answers in Thanks, a row. I'm like, oh my gosh, what what can I say to some remotely intelligent after this? Um, it's interesting because for me, I think, and it's, it's kind of contradicting what I said in the first half of the recording because I said the emotion should not come from the theme or the story. It should just come from the film art and the the way the director sees the vision of the film. But I do see a red thread 
you know, I do see a red thread in um, the, some of the films I've been enjoying um, in recent years, uh, which are about characters f struggling to find, finally finding their um, their spot in the world, like finding what is. And I feel like if you break down any story, this is true to 99% of films and novels and plays, but films like, you know, the second part of the Apu trilogy by Satyajit Ray or My Golden Days by Arnaud Deplechamp, when you have characters like that who are, you're almost in a first-person narrative. The main character is in every single scene and you see them grow and finally possibly uh, find their bearings. I feel like this uh, always get me. But, you know, as I, as I said, um, I, I still believe that at the core, what moves me the most is, is really the, the, the artistic take uh, behind the film. And sometimes you're not even aware of it. You, you, it reveal, the film is going to reveal it, its meaning sometimes in the very last scene, sometimes even after you, once you're done with the film and you go home and you're thinking about it, you're like, wait, wait a second. And uh, this is where I feel like when you walk into a film, as I said, you go for an actor, you go for the plot, uh, you go because you heard positive things about it, and there's this sense of uh, contract. Uh, you want to be entertained. Uh, if a film is slow, if a film is boring, for 99% of people, the contract is broken, right? But then most films, while they're trying to enforce this contract, they're also trying to sneak in deeper or unexpected emotions. So you have the the surface level of the iceberg, which is the, the theme and the story, but the underlying part is the emotional core, which can be quite detached from the surface level. Uh, and this is due to a lot of things. Uh, in, in Hollywood, for instance, it's quite common that the director and the writer are two different people. And sometimes you can have five or six writers in one film and then it becomes a work for hire and the direct and some of the greatest films ever made like the the godfather by coppola was a work for hire and he was like i'm really not into violence i hate the mafia but i feel like this is my film uh where i'm going to be able to talk about everything that is interesting in my eyes which is family and this is why it becomes this family epic. And he doesn't give a crap about the the mafia aspect of it. And if you're not into mafia, you can still love The Godfather. So I would say it's kind of like a, the contract when you walk into a restaurant. Um, you order a dish because you're hungry. And you want to walk uh, out of the restaurant feeling satiated. And a director is almost like a chef to to some extent in the sense that while you're being fed or entertained, you can also sneak in some deeper meanings or emotions. Uh, and sometimes you're going to catch it and sometimes you're not. And sometimes you're going to revisit it in your head. And sometimes you're not. And I guess it's fine. To wrap us up, I'm really interested to hear about what kind of uh, film set you've ever seen that you would really like to live the rest of your life out in. Um, for me, not so much a specific set, but a filmic world would be Studio Ghibli. I want to eat that food. My animated food looks so good. Uh, I have two answers to that. Uh, the easy one, although it's kind of a tacky house, but the house in Parasite. 
Oh, I gotta what do you say, mean, tacky. That's right. Like it's very nouveau-riche. It, it's it's really. I mean, beside the basement part, which is kind of yeah. like the ooh, what the hell is going on down there? Um, um, the, or that one or the the the, the house in Panic Room, like with mm-hmm. you know, that brownstone in the Upper West Side. But I feel like deep down, the one if I have like three friends that are down to come live in this house with me, it's a kind of a niche film. It's um, a movie with the Beatles called Help by Richard Lester and I will always remember I was obsessed with the VHS tape when I was like seven and it's a house in London with four doors so each beetle has his own door and once they walk through the threshold they end up in the same room and then there's a massive conversation pit and I would recommend watching this film just for the house because it's a beautiful house i'm embarrassed by my first one but then i have a pretentious second one to which is also very me uh listen you guys i want to live in the harry potter set okay fine there i said it i'm embarrassed but i've been to the the set um the studios and i have to say that it's rare for us to get the opportunity to really enjoy and see all the artistry that goes into the set so i think that was one of the first times that i saw all the artists that that put work into it and all the textural um, background detail. So it is a, it is a world that I think I'd love to. Let's say maybe I'd really love to spend like a week. I'd love to spend a week's holiday in the world of the Harry Potter set. And then maybe it's because I was trying to find music that we wanted to use for this episode, and one of the most um, I guess well known soundtracks to me is the Yumeji's theme from In the Mood for Love. And yeah, the mood, the lighting, the fashion. I mean, the fashion always has a big thing to do with me. I always dreamt of being an actress so that I could play Kira Knightley style um, period pieces because as just a nerd for fashion history as a kid, my big stream, I'm still, still is my dream. Uh, I would love to play in period pieces just so that I get to wear the cool fashion. But in the mood for love, the colors, the music, uh, the 60s fashion, uh, all of that sounds pretty enticing to me right now. Emil, thank you so much for your wise, oh, poetic, you. and beautiful insights. Thank you. Thanks for feeling it with us tonight. Guys, we'll catch you next time here on The Soft Spot. This show is produced by your hosts, Fiona Schlumberger and Elsa Darlington, with music by Dylan Latimer. <laughs> <laughs>